once verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Captains, you're listening to episode 258 of Priority One Podcast, your weekly report on all things Star Trek. Recorded live on Thursday, February 11th, 2016, and available for download or streaming on Monday, February 15th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Kenna. And I'm Tony. And as always, in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Winters. Hello. So, Tony, what's coming up in this week's episode? This week, we're trekking out the new showrunner who's just been named to the new Star Trek series and getting William Shatner's thoughts about an aging Captain Kirk before bringing you up to speed on the latest con news. In Star Trek Online news, Mark is giving us the lowdown on the brand new Tier 6 flagships that have just been announced. And later on on-screen, Cookie and Elijah are playing Hide and Q. And finally, our graphic artist, Henry, is here with another fan art review. Of course, before we wrap up the show, we'll be opening hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, we love it when you join in on the discussion with us, so drop us a line on one of our social media channels. You can leave us a comment on our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com. Send us a message on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast or follow us on Twitter at PriorityOnePod. You can even leave us a voicemail using SpeakPipe. Just click on the widget on our homepage. And finally, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, old and new, who make this show possible from week to week. With your help, we can keep improving the quality and content of the show. Visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one and find out about all the cool perks we have to offer. Speaking of Patreon perks, this week on Priority One After Hours. This is the part of the show where Ken opens the second bottle of wine and tells you what's really on her mind. Um, we want to talk about Star Trek Axanar. Rule number one when you get sued, shut up. And everyone knows that liars, uh, lawyers are a bunch of liars anyway. <laughs> he certainly didn't make himself look very good, but he certainly tried to take down as many people as possible <laughs> with him. We're going to win. Mm-hmm. We have nothing to discuss. This unscripted, uncensored, and unedited recording is available exclusively to our Patreon subscribers. Now let's check out some big news about the new Trek TV series. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. After a rousing chorus of yay oh, with the announcement of the new Star Trek series coming to CBS All Access Pay Per Month Internet Service, executive produced by Alex Kurtzman, co-writer of the JJ Trek films of Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. <clears throat> Finally, dear listeners, some cause for genuine optimism for Trekkies. Brian Fuller has been named as co-executive producer and, this is key, showrunner of the new Star Trek series. In honor of Desi Arnaz, half of the Desilu Studios, which produced the original Star Trek series, and as a salute to our Cuban overlord, who is absent again this week, I got some splant to do about why this is a big deal. Brian Fuller cut his TV chops on Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Big 
He created Dead Like Me, Wonderfalls, and Pushing Daisies, the latter starring Lee Pace and Kristen Chenoweth, and ranks up there near Firefly as a show gone before its time, if you ask me. He wrote two episodes and co-produced the entire first season of Heroes, The Good Season. He developed Hannibal, as in Fava Beans and a Nice Chianti Clarice, Hannibal, for NBC, which just got recently canceled. And finally, he's one half of the showrunning team for American Gods, which is based on the Neil Gaiman books about immortal, but no longer quite omnipotent beings running around the American Southwest. So, sci-fi, check. Fantasy, check. Horror, check. Strange new worlds and civilizations? Yeah, shouldn't be a problem for this guy. And as the showrunner, he's the man for creative decisions. Now, before we squee ourselves to death, we've got to bring up some downsides. The Wired article covering the news brought up one reservation. He's still committed to American Gods on the Stars Network, so he may be run a bit ragged between the two shows. Um, hello, Star Trek vs. Gaiman. Sorry, Neil. Love your stuff, but Fuller's co-showrunner, yes, there are two of them, will just have to pick up the slack. Another issue, courtesy of Memory Alpha, Mr. Fuller in the past and probably super drunk or suffering from recent head trauma, stated, quote, I think there's something very exciting about the new J.J. Abrams verse, and there's also kind of an interesting reinvention. How would the next generation evolve from that? Where would that be? Where would that go? But there's also, Star Trek is such a big universe, and there's so many places to go with it. I have a very specific idea that I would love to do. We'll see if I ever get the opportunity, end quote. So that was in 2013, so there's been time for him to recover or you know, wake up from the hangover or whatever. Finally, I'll add a reservation of my own. Did you guys lose Ronald D. Moore's phone number? I mean, seriously, that was the guy. But Brian Fuller, okay, cl close second. Uh, now that the captain of the new show has been named, we at the P1 Productions Corporate HQ, a.k.a. our Google Hangout, uh, we were debating how this affects the choices of captain and crew of the new ship or station or department or whatever. As Kenneth decided this would make a good topic for discussion, and in the absence of our Cuban overlord, she's in charge. Take it away, Kenna. Okay, so I have a few perhaps controversial things to say, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save them for a little bit. And I wanted to go through a couple of points, um, just running down some of the things that you've pointed out. So uh, this kind of ties in with the issue that he's actually committed to another series as well. Um, and it also goes back to the fact that um, let's see, most of the things that he's produced so far have been cancelled quite mm. soon. So <laughs> this is a slightly worrying for me, although I have to agree with you, the, the things that he's been involved in, really exciting. And especially when we're talking about heroes, like I loved the first season of Heroes, and then I really didn't give a crap about the other seasons. So um, that, that this is a good sign. There's, there's there's potential there, but it does worry me that he seems to be getting canceled a lot. Well, I, maybe part of his problem is is that he all the stuff he does, like the critics and like people who are like you know smart people, they really love his stuff. He got like uh, Pushing Daisies got tons of awards, and you know Hannibal yeah. was very critically acclaimed, but canceled after two seasons. Star Trek has an audience built in. There's not going to be any question of getting people to dig the concept, right? People will dig the concept. There's already tons of people out there that do. So it's just a question of keeping those people engaged and entertained. I think he can do that. Well, I guess, we'll have to wait and see, I suppose. Now, you know, I, clearly CBS believes in him because they are not going to go after somebody who they believe is going to get canceled after one season because this is 
kind of being touted as one of the flagship shows of CBS All Access. So they're not going to set it up. I mean, if I was, you know, sitting up there in CBS corporate HQ or whatever, I don't know what they call it. Um, I bet they have a Google Hangouts like us. Yeah, prob- probably. They, they are going to be planning for a flagship show to run for a few years. I mean, we never know exactly what's going to happen, but they're not going to plan to get people signed up and then and then it just falls flat and everybody quits. They're not planning for that to happen. So I, I do have a little bit of faith there, which is promising. But the next thing I wanted to talk about was this idea in this quote about the next generation JJ verse. Dude, if they could reinvent Riker, I'd be all over that. If they reinvented Riker, he's going to be a five foot one, you know, uh, Indian guy, clean shaven, uh, you know, who likes who likes poetry and doesn't cook. Yeah, but look, it, you know, if he can sit in a chair funny, put his leg up on things, I'll be over it. I'll be all over it. It'd be great. Did you hear me? He's five foot one. He can't even get his leg over the back. I bet. You know what? I think even, you know, Prime Universe Riker, if he ended up being five foot one, I think he'd find <laughs> You think way. he'd still try to get his leg over the back of the chair? That, that, he would be doing rocket style high kicks to get over that chair because Riker finds a way. That's the kind of man he is. I'd pay five ninety nine a month just to watch that. <laughs> no, that would be a show. <laughs> it's like Rockettes meet Star Trek. Legs in space. Sorry, I do digress slightly, right. The final thing that I wanted to talk about was was another thing that Brian Fuller is the first sort of, he's he's openly gay. And uh, this is, means a lot, potentially, for the direction that the show could potentially go. Now, I've talked about this in the past where Star Trek has traditionally had the reputation of being socially progressive uh first interracial kiss uh tackling social issues you know on screen in a way that other tv shows never have done in the past but you know looking back on it now actually it was a bit tangential in the way that they tackled that it was always here's this alien race of people that have this problem we're gonna go we're going to go look at it, but then we're going to go back to our uh, primarily white utopia over here um, because everything's perfect in the Federation. Now, I think that the Star Trek TV series has got a great opportunity in front of them. And quite frankly, here's my controversial comment. Just brace yourselves. I will be really disappointed if they fail to... Here's what I want. I want them to make a bridge crew or, you know, main cast. I want to make it not have any white people in it. And... <laughs> A very good reason for that. So you want them all to be Andorian? I don't. I don't care what color they are. They could be purple with white spots. I don't know. But I want the new bridge crew to not be white. And there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, casting in TV shows and films is entirely arbitrary. It's by definition, it's arbitrary. It is whoever the showrunners and casting directors think will suit the show so they could arbitrarily as arbitrarily pick a cast entirely made up of minorities as they could you know uh, equal parts minority and white people or all white people it doesn't matter it's entirely arbitrary so they there's no reason not to uh number two from a commercial standpoint star trek has the opportunity to if any major network franchise could get away with promoting an entirely minority cast it would be Star Trek 
No one's ever done it before. They've had, I mean, we've had shows that have kind of come in on um, Netflix or other places that are, you know, primarily minorities or really pushing diversity, but they tend to be either new shows or off on the fringe. And nobody has ever taken, I mean, picture, you know, CSI or Law and Order or something coming in with an entirely non-white cast. No one's ever done it before. And regardless of how the show ends up being received, that would be an accolade that no one could ever take away from Star Trek. And I think Star Trek could do it. They could pull it off and it would be a really great legacy for the franchise. So I'm going to stop ranting now, but that's that's what I would like to see. Okay, you'll never see that, but thanks for playing. I'll tell you why. Why, why do you... I'll okay, tell, you tell why. me why. There's a, there's a few reasons. Number one, Star Trek is a great uh, a palette, a great canvas, if you will, for doing social things like you've been saying, but it's yep. that's not what it's there for. It's what it's there for is to entertain a bunch of people about spaceships and things going zoom throughout the galaxy. Now, I think it's an important yep. component because... It's an important component of science fiction, period, to comment on goings-on about uh, the current human, human problems. I mean, that's, it's, it's incumbent upon people that do good, good science fiction to address current topics in a way that removes it from sort of the, the, the rough and tumble of you know, current politics. Like, you know, no, no, we're not talking about black versus white. We're talking about these half black, half white people that live in another, another, what are you talking about? No, it's not talking about racism. <laughs> Come on. Seriously, it's just a sci-fi show. I, that, that's, that's part and parcel of being good sci-fi. But the other reason is that you don't want to, as a, as a, as a TV company, as a, as a TV company, you want to talk to not only the aspirational things you know what good entertainment should be but also who your audience is and as a consumer of 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 entertainment stuff i'm going to expect to see one maybe two sort of if not recognizable at least not completely obscure headliners in there you know people that i would recognize from other show scott bakula had quantum leap and then he came in uh Mm -hmm. you know uh uh, um, lavar burton uh, was recognizable uh, in, in American media uh, before he came on Star Trek Next Generation. Avery Brooks was recognizable. Now, notice that a couple of the guys I named as recognizable media figures are, in fact, minorities. So, But if, if you mm-hmm. get high-caliber, high-quality people to come in on Star Trek, I think you need to be, when you use the word colorblind, as to who those high-profile people are. If you can get a high-profile white dude to play the chief engineer, awesome. If you get a high-profile black gal play the communications officer awesome but i think that those judgments are going to need to trump any sort of you know accolade you might want to get from well-meaning but ultimately not business related uh groups and 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 sort of critics so i i I, it's an it's interesting concept but i think that it's a tv show first and foremost it's a sci-fi tv show first and foremost and i think that those accolades need to be earned through the storytelling not sort of given away just because we filled off our, a checklist properly at the casting level. I think it's got to be earned in the storytelling. Well, the thing is, I think that approach is perhaps a little naive because, like I said before, the, the casting of these shows is entirely arbitrary. So the, the power is within the showrunners to decide who those people are going to be. And even Brian Fuller himself has said he would love to see 
Captain Angela Bassett with Rosario Dawson as the first officer or whatever it is. So that is totally within their power to do. And there are... I would say, see my previous comments about big names that you recognize. Well, exactly. But you don't have to have everybody be a big name. No, and you're not going to. You don't want to. It would kill your budget. But again, that's, that's a TV business problem. This show could fail horribly regardless because there's so much writing on it. It's so important. People have waited for it for so long. There are a million reasons that this new Trek series could get canceled after the first season. But earning an accolade like that by being able to stand up and say it's the first major network franchise with an entirely non-white main cast, that is something that will never go away and it will ensure the legacy of the franchise regardless of how successful the show is. And I think it's a very no. Um, no. white privileged position to assume that there have to be white people in the cast in order to make it appealing to a white audience. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you is that it's a TV business decision on casting. It's not as arbit- I don't think it's as arbitrary as you're making it out to be. I don't think so. And and probably not. And I'm not a casting yeah, director, I, I so think that you can't that take my word for the, it. The business side of things is going to weigh in. Now, Fuller is the creative guy, right? So theoretically, he's mm-hmm. got like you know, if not the final say, then the studio would have to make him back down from his choices, right? He's going to put out his list of right. people that he wants in the roles, and the studio, if they're going to object to stuff, they're going to have to fight him on it. So, And that's a fight that they're yeah. going to have based on the creative versus the business. And they're going to fight that out. Yeah. And that's their sort of job. But I, here's the problem. Enterprise was canceled after four seasons. Not the expected, the quote, expected run of seven as typical for you know a modern Star Trek show. That brought the franchise to its knees. Such that we had we had not seen real we did not see Star Trek at all for four or five years between the 05 cancellation and the 09 <coughs> JJ verse and and, and we were not seeing a, a real Star Trek TV show until 2016 on CBS <coughs> yeah. All Access. So I mean, you know, it's if this doesn't work, even if they get the accolade, yep. if this doesn't work, Star Trek is more or less sort of dead, except from the movie popcorn thing. I would argue that a lot of what keeps Star Trek alive is the fans and the fan base kind of keeping that vision alive of what Star Trek is all about. And I think the opportunity for progressing that vision or that reputation of being inclusive and socially progressive and tackling issues. I'm not going to watch that show. The opportunity is there for them to to lose. I'm not going to watch that show. I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm not going to watch that show. I think you're misunderstanding me because I'm what I'm what I'm not saying is that I want a show that's all about race and sexuality and all the other stuff. What I'm saying is that you can make a Star Trek show with not white people and it's all about Star Trek and it's all about exploration and space travel and everything sure. else. And it's exactly the same as what we've already seen from Star Trek, but it doesn't have to be about sure. race and sexuality in your face. But they could make a big statement about the franchise and what it believes in by their casting choices. If the decision is in, at the TV business level and at the creative showrunner level is let's make an entirely made-up crew, right? There's, a, like I said, Andorian yeah. and Tellarite and Vulcan and, I mean, so that it just doesn't matter who's underneath the makeup. Then it's like, then it just doesn't matter. 
if that's the creative direction they want to go to, to that's fine. If they decide that, no, we're going to have an entirely human crew and make sure that not a single Caucasian gets in there, I think that's, as I was pointing out earlier, that's where you start taking it from the, this is science fiction, you know, haha, it's just, it's just, it's a galaxy far, far away, you're talking about, and starts to cross the line into blatant sort of political statements that, that should be secondary to the job that you have is making a science fiction TV show. I, again, I, I want Star Trek to earn its street cred for telling compelling sci-fi stories that have the diversity elements in them, which, you know, I think that's a legit place for sci-fi to go. But I think they need to earn it, not just by checking off checkboxes. I think that's the main tension here, is that, yes, it would be a statement, but I think it's not the right kind of statement for a Star Trek show. We're not about checkboxes in the future. We're about actual human interaction that shows we've grown up a bit. We don't worry about this stuff anymore. Well, and I think the thing, key thing to take away is I will still watch it because I have faith in the franchise. I will just feel just a smidgen disappointed if they can't go, if they can't take that step because I think that if anybody could carry it off, it would be Star Trek. But we talked enough, I think, about the new TV series and I wanted to talk some rumors about some other upcoming Trek projects, so why not throw Captain Kirk in the mix? Now, in an interview with the Hollywood Reporter's Awards Chatter podcast last week, William Shatner himself sat down to discuss Trek and his feelings about how the franchise could deal with an aging Kirk. He revealed that once upon a time, he was in talks with J.J. Abrams about a possible appearance in 2009's Star Trek reboot, although it never panned out. He even talked about the series of books he co-wrote in the 90s featuring an aging Kirk set in the Next Generation era, and he said he'd have loved to have them done as films. But as for his and Kirk's future, he said, quote, I would play an old Captain Kirk absolutely. Yes, you age within the universe. Time goes on, but time bends as well. There's so many things you could do, end quote. Now, this is, a, this is an interesting concept to me because I would love to see William Shatner back. <laughs> you, you would not like to see him in his books that he co-wrote? No, I read some of them. Oh, I, I don't know. I've not. I haven't no. read them. <laughs> oh, don't don't bother. Let me fill you in. Oh, he comes dear. back from the dead <laughs> after the Borg beam his body up from underneath the little stone cairn that Picard built, and the Borg re-inject oh, wow. him with nanoprobes and whatnot because he's so awesome that clearly where Locutus didn't work out, we're going to try this again with Captain Kirk, the better captain, obviously. Oh, right. Uh, and then it all kind of goes downhill from there. <laughs> okay, I wasn't aware of that. We might have to make some adjustments to the timeline in yeah. order to make it work. But I would totally love to have, like, old Captain yeah. Kirk, like, hanging out with the Star Trek crew. Am I alone, <laughs> Am I alone in that? No, no. I, th- I, think it, I, think an old, <laughs> I think an old curmudgeonly Captain Kirk is, I mean, that's natural. I think that's a better end to his career than, you know, getting fallen off of a bridge. That's a much better yeah. end to his career. Yeah, that was Unfortunately, a a William Shatner wanted the big paycheck, and so he did Star Trek Generations and got himself killed. The character. The character got killed. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. Bit of a downer. Anyway. Kind of ended the movie on a, on a not-so-great <laughs> note. Yeah. A little bit. Hmm. So that brings us to this week's community question. What Star Trek character would you like to see come back in the new series as a cameo? Well, we've talked the world of Trek to death, but we can't get away without mentioning the biggest science news of possibly the last century. Scientists at the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, or LIGO, have just this week detected actual gravitational waves. 
They were theorized by Einstein back in 1915 and hadn't actually been observed until now. Look out for Dr. Robert Hertz's Astrometrics Report next week in episode 259 of Priority One Podcast, where he'll go into the nitty-gritty details. And finally, before we move on, we wanted to quickly update you on a few goings-on in the world of cons. Now, it's just been announced that the tickets for Star Trek Mission New York, taking place on the 2nd through the 4th of September, are going on sale this Thursday, February 18th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And for those of you keeping an eye on Destination Star Trek Europe, they will be announcing the next round of guests on Wednesday, February 17th at 12 noon GMT. Also mark your calendars for March the 1st, since that's when photoshoot tickets go on sale as well. Just a reminder, general admission tickets are already on sale, as are the VIP packages, so go and get them. Now let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where Ken and I bring you up to speed on the latest news about Star Trek Online. But before we get to that, Kenna begged me to let her talk about the latest Star Trek mobile game that's got her attention. So Kenna, why don't you tell us about it? So, remember how a couple weeks back we were talking about the new mobile game Star Trek Timelines? Now we were totally excited about it, and I'll be honest, since then it's completely lost interest for me. Sad face. Most of that is because I thought it was going to be Bob's in Space! You know, like a quick little game that you could dip into and out of focused on collecting ships and characters. And while it is that, I personally have found that you really need to sit down and play it. No flipping through a quick mission while you're in line at the bank. Now, this is a game that you need to concentrate on. And if I'm going to sit and concentrate on something, sorry, but it's going to be Star Trek Online, which I'm already invested in, not something new. So. Enter Star Trek Wrath of Gems, which is a lame name, but just go with it. Now, full disclosure, I heard about this on a Twitter ad, and while I normally hate Twitter ads with a capital H, this one caught my attention. I'm a huge fan of gem swapping games like Bejeweled and, to a certain extent, the evil Candy Crush, uh, so this one looked interesting. And let me tell you that I love it. It's everything that I hoped timelines would be and more, and it's perfect for my style of mobile gameplay. Basically, this is a gem swapping game and a card collecting game smushed together. So you swap gems to make moves, which then play out in a series of battles, either in a loose story mode or a versus mode against other players. The twist here is that while you're gem swapping, the other player or computer is gem swapping on the same board. You have to take turns. So it's a little more strategic than the sometimes mind-numbing, shiny shuffling, bejeweled type gameplay. Now the main game is a story mode, and I can't tell you much about the plot because who really cares, but you have the choice whether you start in the original series mode or the next generation mode. No credits for guessing which one I went for. Anyway, in story mode, you progress through a few different types of missions, each with a slightly different strategy, and going into it you can select which characters you play with. Each character you collect has a slightly different interaction with the jewel types, so making more matches of red gems, for instance, can unlock one of your character's special abilities. Now, I won't go too in-depth into all the mechanics, but I can tell you that it's pretty self-explanatory when you play. And actually, even if you don't understand it, it's not completely vital that you understand everything in order to play. At its heart, as long as you keep swapping gems, you'll progress reasonably well. Now, I do need to mention that this, like many freemium games, is time-gated to an extent. Your characters can take damage and they need time to heal. You can also only get a certain amount of character and ship slots and you'll need to collect gold to unlock more. 
Time gating can be a really difficult thing for mobile games to balance properly, and this one actually doesn't do that bad of a job. If you're waiting for your ship to heal, for instance, you can switch and do some missions with your crew instead. Anyway, overall, I would recommend this game if you're a casual gamer and you like dipping in and out of mobile games, but if you hate the whole gem swapping genre, it's probably best to steer clear. Have you guys played this? Yeah. No. It's awesome. I'm addicted to it. I got to point I get really difficult and then I kind of just went, what's the point? Because they were looking for money at that point. Yeah, the time gating is just, just almost not good. But it's 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 okay for the moment, and you can replay all the missions and get more stuff. So, and you can do like a versus mode against other players, so you can also collect more stuff as well. Because um, there's two, ba there's basically there's two currencies: there's dilithium and gold. Um, gold is the like premium currency that you need to unlock more character slots and all that. And then dilithium is what you use to just sort of level people up and stuff like that. Um, and you can get a lot of dilithium just by playing the versus mode. But the gold is a little bit tricky. So like for instance, I only have one ship, and I'm try like I've earned another ship, but I can't actually recruit it because I don't have another ship slot yet. So I'm saving up my gold. But it's one of those things that y you can just play a quick mission. You know, it takes a couple of minutes while, you know, you're waiting for your pasta to boil or something, um, which is a, is a marked difference from timelines. Um, and the graphics are great. Also, my best character is Riker, so I'm happy. So. so you've really not heard of this one, Winters. I genuinely haven't. This is the first time hearing it. Yeah, well, then you should go out and get it right away. It's free. Nice. Is it on the Google Play Store? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely on the App Store, <laughs> but I'm not sure. I'm sure it is. Go and have a look. But yeah, so I've kind of diverted us long enough from Star Trek Online. Honestly, this is what I'm playing when, because I'm doing the Omega Daily at the moment, and on my poor little Romulan character who hasn't even got a slipstream drive yet, when I'm going from like Drazana Station to like... Starbase 39. I'll flip over and I'll just be playing that while I'm zooming through space. It's quite, you could dip in and out of it, so it's good. Very meta. But Mark, I've heard that in actual Star Trek Online, there's some quite exciting stuff coming out. Oh yeah. It has been ships galore this week, as no less than nine tier six ships have been released to the sea store and the stats are coming out of their afts, literally. Of which we won't bore you with here, but we do suggest you check out the blog, which we will link in our show notes. The rundown is this. Each faction receives tier 6 updates of their flagships, so the Odyssey, the Borosku, and the Scimitar, and each of these has the standard science, engineering, and tactical variants. So, to give them their names for the Feds, we have the Sojourner Engineering, the Yorktown Science and Endeavour Tactical Classes. For KDF, we have the Kalis Engineering, Gorkon Science, and Martok Tactical. Finally, for the Romulans, we have the Samshire Engineering, Flambard Science, and Kopesh Tactical. The models on the ships look amazing and I for one am glad I got hold of some of them. As always with these ships though, there is a console and a set piece bonus which you'll all be wanting to know about. Tactical variants come with the Tactical Flagship Computer. When activated, this console's ability will provide a substantial increase to flight speed, turn rate and weapon firing rate for your team for a short time. This console also provides a passive bonus to direct energy damage. That actually seems very interesting. Mm. It does, yeah. I actually kind of want to try that one out the most out of all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The science variants come with the Dampening Wave Emitter Universal Console. When activated, your starship will emit a violent dampening wave that will disable enemy ships nearby, causing minor radiation damage over time and dramatically reduce their damage output for a short time. This console also provides a passive bonus to maximum shield hit points. 
I would get that one just to see what the maximum the shield does. Yeah, I think that violent dampening wave sounds really interesting. Mm -hmm. That strikes me as something that could be good for PvP, I think. Yeah. Accelerated is like an almost like a photonic shockwave, kinda. Just a bit more powered. Or the aceton beam. Yes. But yeah, you're probably right that um, that'll be more useful in uh, PvP or I don't know, maybe maybe some of the elites where you need a, a bit more tactical you know, thinking going on, mm -hmm. but it's it's certainly not really going to help your DPS particularly much if that's what you're after. Although, what if you were running that uh, as part of a team and you were running in and disabling ships and then your teammates were running in and going pew pew pew? Might be quite handy. Yeah, could be. As a support ship. Well, finally, the engineering variants also come with adaptive emergency systems. Stating when activated, it provides a substantial boost to damage and damage resistance for a short time. This console's effects are increased by 50% if the starship's current hull hit points are below 50%. This console provides a passive bonus to max HP and energy damage resistance. It's not bad, it's sort of a nice balanced out tanky console almost. Yeah, the only thing I don't like about it is uh, you have to be down to 50% uh, hull hit points in order to gain the full potential. Well, to get the most out of it. And I know the way I run my ships, I very rarely get down to 50% unless I'm kind of dying. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. I'm usually around... <laughs> I'm at 50% more often than I like, I think. It's a bit standard. But if I'm, if I'm correct in reading the blogs, you can actually get that bit better with some uh, clever console set bonuses, is that correct? Yes, which we are coming on to. But just to note, as always, each console may only be equipped on one of the Odyssey, Bortas and Scimitar variants. The set bonus, as we mentioned, also includes the console from the anniversary event, and it's as follows. With two pieces, you get a passive plus to turn rate and critical hit chance. With three pieces, the deadly response. When taking damage, while shield facing is critically low or depleted, you will gain temporary hit point bonus, stacking up to three times, and bonus damage, stacking up to three times. Get all four, which is all three consoles from the ships, plus the anniversary ship. You get flagship technologies, improving flagship console abilities. The adaptive emergency systems, as Kenna was mentioning, the required minimum health bonus is increased from 50% to 75%. The violent dampening wave increases a radius from 4km to 5km, and the fleet weapon acceleration increases duration from 15 seconds to 20 seconds. And yes, I know you're asking out there, the older consoles do seem to work on the new ships. There's just no bonus for all six consoles that we know of yet. Hopefully. Maybe. Please. I don't think that they will do a six-piece set on it. Um, yeah. I really don't see them going that far with it. Um, that would only leave you with five consoles you'd be left with five consoles then to you know it's it's chewing up too many consoles to create a six piece console set that would be such overkill but it would be awesome <laughs> but you know there'll be people out there who go, look at me i have the shiny they'd have to make it like really good yeah yes like we said there is a lot to cover with stats core consoles hull strength shield both layouts which do include hybrid commander specializations and those all important traits so as i mentioned before i highly encourage you go and you check out the blogs for yourself which as always will be in our show notes and that brings us to our community question have you picked up one of the new tier 6 flagships and what are your first thoughts 
Okay, so just moving on to patch notes. So they were pretty short this week. Uh, they resolved a few bugs that have been affecting some players, including uh, an issue that was blocking some players from readying ships in the ship selector. There were some crashes occurring for some players related to completing mission steps in episodes. The Krenum Chronoton Torpedo Launcher can now be reclaimed if you've earned the Krenum Science Vessel. And also they've resolved that pesky issue where the Breen Resereth cruiser was not positioned correctly in sector space in correlation to the camera, which was pretty funny but also slightly annoying at the same time. Now, normally we kind of breeze through patch notes and we kind of move on, but I wanted to kind of talk to you guys today because we've had a couple of quote-unquote stealth nerfs that have snuck through in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, occasionally we get something like this, but this is like two in a row now. Um, are you guys aware of this? No. I've heard of at least one. Yeah, so the two that I'm talking about, uh, the first one was uh, chemocyte lace weaponry. Uh, and then I th that, I think, was might have been last week. Um, and then it has to do with the proc rates and the damage, I think. Um, I don't use chemocyte, so um, I'm not that familiar with what exactly was nerfed. Um, and then the other one, of course, is the one that, um, that sort of snuck through earlier this week, which was... Um, if you guys play foundry missions as a source of dilithium, you'll have noticed that the Investigate Officer Reports wraparound mission is gone. Now, both of these, we've had some confirmation from developers at Cryptic to say that it was not intended that they were not in the patch notes. So, in other words, they weren't deliberately left out, but they failed to put them into the patch notes, and they've apologized for both of those things. And then they've taken the opportunity on various places, mostly in the forums, to clarify exactly what's happened. So I'll just summarize very briefly on the chemocyte-laced weaponry issue. So there was two issues. Number one was the proc rate was reduced uh, during torpedo spread and fire at will. The change was intentional, but it was accidentally left out of the patch notes. And there was an issue as well that... Um, chemocyte no longer crits unless you're using torpedo spread and that was unintentional that's a bug that they're looking into um, but they're not sure when a fix is going to be live um, and then the other one which is the foundry one now this is one that I, I probably I want to read a little bit about the um, the message that Charles Gray he's a lead content designer put out about this Essentially, the investigate officer reports was removed as an option because they are tweaking some of the foundry rewards. Now, he says, this action was taken as we work towards an overhaul that we are looking to make to foundry rewards throughout the game. The details of the overhaul are still being iterated on while it's in development, but one of the major thrusts of those changes is that no one should be missing out on rewards because they forgot to take on an obscure daily mission, etc., etc. So this was an... an intentional change i think the problem and the reason people are upset about it is that nobody said it and also there's no timeline on when we're going to get these supposed updated rewards and i know a lot of people would use that um foundry wraparound mission to get uh, a lot of dilithium actually you can get a couple thousand dilithium in a day because i think the cooldown on it is actually very short i don't know if you guys ever use that one i've used it on occasion uh i'm not a big user of the foundry but on occasion yeah. uh, I have uh, done some things in the foundry. Well if you've got the time it's good to just grab some extra dilithium. Yep for sure. If you don't I mean I've used it a few times it's I never noticed it. I didn't notice it was missing um, but I, I think it it's interesting to note you know the, the patch notes this week there was only four items on it. It's very small um, but then these kind of what a lot of people would consider fairly large things just kind of got missed 
So I don't really know what's going on. You know, it's it could be a coincidence. It could just be a miscommunication between whoever publishes patch notes and the people behind the scenes. But I think it does call into question exactly what that process is of when things get released as changes and, and who gets notified and who writes the patch notes. I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, that's kind of a big boo-boo there, uh, leaving two yeah. pretty big things out of the patch notes. And I think the other thing is, well, um, fair enough, the devs acknowledge it on the forums. Not everybody goes through the forums. And there was still, you know, there wasn't a supplemental update to the patch notes put out. Because some people will just yeah. look at the patch notes each week. Um, I, I think, you know, if they've done a little supplemental saying, oh, by the way, we've... For, you know, we omitted this information, or you know, we yep. forgot to include this in the original patch notes. Here you are. I know they've done it on the forums, but not every player does check the forums. Well, you know, newspapers do that. It would probably be worth, you know, on this week's patch notes to put on the end, um, you know, correction to last week's patch notes. This was yes. omitted. Um, Something like probably that. would be worth it. I mean, I'm absolutely positive that there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens in a in a patch that doesn't get put in the patch notes because most of it we don't want to hear about but when it's something quite major you know anything pertaining to chemosite because it's kind of like a hot button issue at the minute and anything related to the foundry they they really ought to um go out of their way to make sure that those get publicized i can only speak for myself but um i know if they actually put the information out there um it's you know a lot easier to digest if they say right we've done this nerf and this is the reasons why uh, i appreciate that than a stealth nerf and nothing being yep. said about it at all i think uh, it's much better if they come out and say straight away okay we're nerfing this here are the reasons why i can accept that a lot easier than a stealth nerf it just doesn't look good well i don't think they ever do it intentionally oh know? no i'm not saying I mean... they do either but uh, that's why I was saying, you know, like a supplemental to, uh, or an update to the release patch notes. Yeah, I think that would be a perfect solution. Again, this week, in an effort to bring you some of the news and comments from PWE and Cryptic that aren't officially announced in the blogs, here's some of the latest comments pulled from the Twitterverse. Thomas Moroni at Cryptic underscore TTC tweeted, In case you missed it, here's my in-universe look at Trek Online Games' new flagships. Now, if you haven't seen this, it's kind of a fake article going into the history of the Federation's flagships. So that's the Yorktown Sojourner and the Endeavor, and they're relating it back to the Odyssey. Now, this is a great little in-universe piece, heavy with stunning artwork, and it gives a little glimpse into the backstory of these impressive ships. And the title of the publication, Jace's Interstellar Navy, may just be a nod to our very own Jace. So go and check it out. And lastly, before we wrap up Star Trek Online News, here are some upcoming events to look forward to. The in-game calendar appears to be up and working again, and the next event is a bonus XP weekend coming up from the 18th to the 22nd of February. If you're listening to us on Monday the 15th, then you've just missed an upgrade weekend. But it's worth pointing out that events seem to be getting planned at very short notice these days, so be sure to keep an eye on the in-game calendar or one of Star Trek Online's social media channels for the latest updates. Now let's check in with Cookie and Elijah and find out what's on screen. On screen. Hello captains, I'm Cookie. And I'm Elijah. And this week we're reviewing Hide and Q. 
written by C.J. Holland and Gene Roddenberry, and directed by Cliff Bowl. This episode first aired November 23, 1987. The Enterprise is on an emergency rescue of Federation colonists on Sigma-3. But whilst rushing at warp 9.1, they're suddenly stopped by the same force field they encountered on their way to Farpoint Station. Q is back. We, the Q, have studied our recent contact with you and are impressed. This is the first time Marina Sirtis, Deanna Troy, does not appear in an episode. She was in the script up until three days before filming. We don't actually know why she was unable to do the episode, but it was short notice. As a result, her lines had to be cut and transferred to other characters, mostly to Tasha Yar. This is the second appearance of Q since Encounter at Farpoint. Some footage is reused from that first episode, such as the Space Grid force field. It is identical to the grid we encountered when- It reads solid, sir. Emergency, full stop. And another scene in sickbay. According to the novel Q&A, Q was sent by the Continuum to give Picard the power of the Q, to test humanity's ability to save the universe. But Q disregarded their orders and gave the power to Riker. When Riker gives out wishes on the bridge, it's the first time we see a female Klingon on The Next Generation, and along with that, we get a glimpse into what goes on during a Klingon mating ritual, which totally creeps everybody out. Yeah, it does. <laughs> this is also the first time we see Geordi without his visor or his contact lenses. LeVar Burton did not like the visor, which stands for Visual Instrument and Sensory Organ Replacement, because it restricted his peripheral vision and eventually caused daily headaches. In the commentary for the film Star Trek Generations, it was noted that LeVar Burton also felt the prop limited him as an actor, because it denied him the use of his eyes in conveying emotion. But this is the first time we actually get to see him use his eyes, even though it was for a very short scene. And you can tell he milked it. Boy oh boy. <laughs> he does do a really good job though of acting despite that visor. He really does convey his emotions pretty accurately. Speaking of the visor, you may not know this, but the that visor was inspired by a woman's banana hair clip um, that uh, Mike Okuda brought in. My mom had one of those. I used to I used have to, one of those, too. I used to pretend I was Jordy. <laughs> so what do you think of the episode, Cookie? Well, we have yet another test by Q. Yippity-doo-dah, I love these types of episodes. Q isn't quite... Is that sarcasm? Yes, it was. Oh, okay. <laughs> Q isn't quite as obnoxious in this episode as he was in the first episode, but I'm thinking he slowly gets more likable each time he shows up. Once he stops with this we're testing you crap, then I'm sure I will like him more. It's like, get over it! Humans exist! It's like every time, just, oh, let me test you. Test, test, test. It's so annoying. So Q's just being Q again, but at least he lets Tasha out of the penalty box so she wouldn't die. That was nice. and. He didn't cause any actual delay in the rescue mission, although it, it appeared that way at first, so he seems to have at least a little bit more respect for human life now. By the way, I wonder if Tasha's penalty box tearful breakdown... Gone. Yes, I am gone. It is so frustrating to be controlled like this. ...was actually written for Deanna, since now we know that her lines were given to Tasha. It just doesn't really seem like Tasha to me, but... Who knows, maybe my idea of Tasha is just way off, because I keep saying that. In previous episodes, she loses her cool like that pretty pretty yeah. consistently. I guess. Uh, you know, she breaks into tears, she starts screaming and yelling, uh, you know, she's just, she, she has no control. 
Yeah, it seems now that I, I guess my opinion of her was just... I don't know why I thought that she was different, but De Deanna seems to be a lot stronger emotionally than Tasha does. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tasha's a loose cannon. <laughs> I was kind of disappointed that it wasn't a different penalty box. <laughs> Another thing I don't really understand is once Riker had the power of Q, he got to use it to save his crew, but then he promised Picard he wouldn't use it, but then he used it again to give some of the crew members those weird gifts, which were hilarious and awkward, by the way. But still, why was it okay for him to do that when none of the recipients even ended up wanting those gifts? But it wasn't okay for him to bring the little girl back to life, which everyone did seem to want. I bet if he knew her or her mom, he would have done it. Just like when he saved the crew members. But that is the question, I guess, that was being raised. What do you do with absolute power? I don't know, I think I would turn into a superhero and save a bunch of people all the time until it corrupted me, and then I would eventually turn into a supervillain. And then I would have to be taken out in my sleep. Because I do love sleeping, so I would definitely, definitely still be doing that. So yeah, that's probably how that would go down. If you ever had superpowers, um, I have a feeling that you'd also turn the world pink. Pink, it's my new obsession. Yeah, pink, it's not even a question. Like pink trees, pink clouds, pink kitties. And just to spite me, you'd apply our pink ice skating competition outfit from Star Trek Online. You'd, you'd make me wear that. <laughs> you'd probably also abduct Brent Spiner, at the very least. <laughs> I mean, I think there would be pink-only areas for sure, but not everything in the world. Because then it, then it wouldn't be special anymore. Or the world would, would turn into a um, Lisa Frank... Yeah, it'd be a Lisa Frank canvas. Lisa Frank. Oh, land. Lisa Frank. So Picard explains to Riker that the difference between saving the crew and saving the girl. Haven't you seen how much I regretted not saving that child? Using the power of Q to save her may not have been wrong. No more than it was wrong to save the rest of you from those soldier things. Let's keep in mind that that particular danger was invented by Q. It's kind of like their idea of the Prime Directive. The girl died as a result of an accident, not because Q made her die in order to test Riker. Although one could argue or suggest that Q did, in fact, control the fate of the little girl as well. Although, not really, though, because Q stopped time whilst this whole game is transpiring, so it's two separate events. Anywho, Picard allows Riker to break his promise because Picard is confident that the crew will act admirably by declining the gifts. I think Jordy puts it best when he declines his gift of vision. Price is a little too high for me, and I don't like who I'd have to thank. Riker's chosen to represent humanity in the continuum, got it. But the message isn't just that absolute power corrupts one man absolutely, and the test isn't just how Riker handles the power, but how the entire crew handles it. Perhaps, I don't know, maybe I'm just reading way too much into it. Perhaps Q was not only hoping to tempt Riker with the power and see if he accepts it, but also watch how his colleagues respond. I don't know. Would they begin to treat Riker like Charlie X? Wait a second. Now I see what this is about. It's the Charlie X plot retold, mm -hmm. except through Riker. Can humanity handle the infinite cosmic power? 
I don't know about that. Charlie X and Riker have very little in common. The gifts. <laughs> it was like, it was a gift Ugh. exchange from hell. The most awkward secret Santa in the history of ever. Yeah, it was, oh my god, it was so awkward. The one where it's, Jordy goes, Worf, is this your idea of sex? <laughs> he said that to Worf when him and that Klingon woman were going at it. Oh, it's so, it was so awkward, like, oh my god. I usually don't find that subject awkward, but this time I wanted to cover my face in a pillow and scream. It was so, oh. No, Lieutenant Worf. You'll make no move against him unless I order it. Kitty. You might have learned an interesting lesson, macro head, with a micro brain. But did you hear how he responds? He's like, this is sex. Ew, no, I, don't. <laughs> I must have yes. blocked that out. But yeah, oh my god. Actually, my, my favorite quote is in the same sequence. However, it's, it's the closed captioning that is hilarious. So when Worf is getting it on on the bridge in front of everybody, the voyeur, he growls at her and it reads seductive growl. Oh my god. It's hilarious. I mean, poor Worf. He's the only one that needed a cold shower after this event. <laughs> oh. oh no, wait, wait. So did Jordy. Yo, seriously though, no one can keep a professional on that bridge. Everyone's always hitting on everyone else. Seriously. So that brings us to our community questions. If you had the power of Q, what would you do with it? And how different would this episode have been if Deanna was involved? Do you think she would have influenced Riker any differently? What gift would he have given her? Don't forget to leave your responses for the community question in the comments section for this episode or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash priority one. Well, that wraps it up for this week's on-screen review of Star Trek The Next Generation Hide and Q. Now let's check in with Henry for another fan art review. Hi, this is Henry, a.k.a. Romulan A, another Star Trek fan art review. As we've seen many times with examples like cell phones, the tablet computer, and recently even the tractor beam, technology will not rest until we have created every single Star Trek gadget on which Geordi has ever had to reverse the polarity. Certainly one of the most important pieces of Star Trek technology is the replicator. A single device that provides food, clothing, medicine, and whatever else you can make with atoms, which is pretty much everything except for latinum or for some reason new lungs for Neelix. While our current 3D printing technology certainly isn't quite on par with the replicators in Quark's bar, we are finally beginning to see the emergence of personal manufacturing. So what happens when you put the power of a replicator in the hands of Star Trek fan artists? you get some really great 3D print designs. I'm not going to review a single specific design this month. Instead, I'm going to showcase some of the very best Star Trek prints Thingiverse has to offer, designed by the very talented Star Trek fan community. In the coming months, sprinkled throughout my usual discussion of funny Trek cartoons and pretty pictures for your computer backgrounds, I will print and review some of the more interesting items available for download on Thingiverse.com. Tons of talented Star Trek fans have posted prints ranging from simple things like com badges and rank tips to fully playable 3D chess sets and detailed props. I recently printed a fantastic replica of the earpiece worn by Lieutenant Uhura in the original series. The print was designed by Star Trek fan artist Jin Injin, following blueprints from France Joseph's 
Star Trek Starfleet Technical Manual. The print came out great and will look fantastic displayed with my autographed Nichelle Nichols plate. Another great design that catches my eye on Thingiverse is a much more ambitious project. User Michael Bowers, aka the Planet Mike on Thingiverse.com, has crafted a beautifully animated, easy to build, 3D printed warp core replica. It functions as a table lamp, and its modular design means you can make yours as tall or as short as you like. The design uses inexpensive holiday icicle LED light for the animated warp effect. This makes it a simple build even for those with limited electronics experience. While perhaps not as flashy as the animated light-up warp core, another favorite is the 3D printable ink stamp set created by user Cat Roberts. This set includes at least four pieces you can print and then use with any standard rubber stamp pad. Each stamp is a simple, single-piece print, which works with printable stamp handles also available on Thingiverse.com. Every month as I prepare this segment, I am amazed by the creativity of the Star Trek fan community. The work, love, and soul that goes into some of these fan projects is a testament to the inspirational power of Gene Roddenberry's incredible vision. I look forward to sharing more of these wonderful creations with you in future episodes of Priority One Podcast. Check out Thingiverse.com to see the latest 3D printable Star Trek fan art, and feel free to let me know if there's a particular piece you'd like to see printed and reviewed in a future segment. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. First up, David S. left us a message on SpeakPipe. Have a listen. Hey, everyone. This is David S., character handle at Hundo on STO. In response to this week's first community question, Star Trek has influenced my life in two very important ways. First, it taught me to respect and value the idea of infinite diversity in infinite combinations. And second, it taught me to try every day to be a better person than we human beings are otherwise naturally inclined to be. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, David, for leaving us a message. And if any of our other listeners would like to leave us one, then just head to PriorityOnePodcast.com and click on the SpeakPipe widget. Rarva commented on PriorityOnePodcast.com, How has Star Trek influenced my life? Well, ever since I was a small child, I always looked up to Mr. Scott. My father was an engineer, and I loved all things technical, so I embraced engineering with open arms. It became my passion in life. Now I have a fantastic career in a field I love. That's how Star Trek influenced my life. Well, this is an interesting point, actually, because, you know, we sort of asked this of our community, but we didn't actually go into how Star Trek has influenced our lives. Now, obviously, we're all here, so it must have influenced us somehow. But why don't we do a little round robin? Should we start with... Let, Tony, let's start with you. How, how has Star Trek influenced your life? Oh, in many and varied ways. Uh, I don't know. It, uh, I, you know. I was one of the nerd kids in school, so it, it gave me... You know, it's, it's, uh, it's like you could point to that as going, you know, not all nerds, uh, you know, get their lunch money stolen and, uh, you know, get made fun of for, for being smart. You know, there's a place for nerds out there may not be in middle school middle school may not be the place for nerds but if you get past that there's a spot for you and i think that that actually was a, a, that was that's a that was a big deal 
Uh, cool, what about you, Mark? Well, like you said, other than bringing us here, um, it sort of started, like, my love of tech and love of science, but I think the sort of the wider message of infinite diversity and infinite combinations is, like, I came to Star Trek at sort of the early teenager stage and started to realise that, you know, being different is alright. You know, I was not always the one who kind of fit in. I wasn't the typical West of Scotland football-loving boy who was into this, into that, out playing football every day. I was more into my, my tech and my games and my different things, and it kind of let me realise that outside of this small little community at this point in time, yeah, that's alright to be the way I am. Yeah, and what about you, Winters? Uh, for me, it uh, really got me interested into uh, science, tech, uh, astronomy, that sort of stuff. But uh, probably the biggest influence that it's had on me, um, I, I was very drawn to the structure, uh, you know, like the command structure of, you know, a captain and, you know, a first officer and lieutenants and all that sort of stuff, uh, which actually later on in life led me to join the military. And uh, the Irish military is very well known for doing a lot of peacekeeping and peace enforcement missions, uh, you know, going to war-torn countries and, you know, generally doing humanitarian aid is one of the big things that we done when we were over in different places. And uh, Star Trek was always there at the root of that, you know, to, um, to, to get into it. And I always uh, liked that, you know, and yeah, I joined the military. Oh, you guys make me feel really shallow. <laughs> I mean, I don't really have any of that. You like you like the costumes, right? It was the boots. Well, not not being funny, but kind of. I mean, well, you know, I, I like that you all said that it kind of got you sort of interested in science and tech, and um, I it that wasn't the case for me because by the time I really got into Star Trek, I was already at like a school that was all about science and technology, so I was already into it. But um, Star Trek for me, when I started being a fan it was like my it became like my second life which sounds really lame but it was you know in my long commutes to school or whenever I was just you know killing time or something that's what I would sort of daydream about would be the this this alternate universe where I could potentially live and do things and it sort of just you know got me daydreaming about what things could be like um and it was also my first introduction to the concept of a fandom of this sort of group of people who get come brought together by you know a love of something you know really sort of esoteric and fictional um but i love the concept of fandom and i love the fact that you know all of us star trek fans actually we are united as different as we are we are sort of all united in the love of this one thing and um yeah, so that's 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 what it was for me, really. It's just fandom, and also I really liked the outfits. So, <laughs> we knew it. Yeah. <laughs> so moving on to our second community question regarding the Omega Particle minigame in Star Trek Online. Star Trek are commented on our website. I've been power grinding the Omega stabilization, but let's remember that even if you score zero, you still get a trace. My approach has been not to bother trying to score points and begin each minigame and just let it time out on its own while watching Netflix. 
If you park your ship in a space location between several particles, you can usually not move for hours and just keep stabilising the particles spawned around you. It's kind of like fishing, except you always catch one fish a minute. Now, this is an interesting concept, actually. It kind of is. Because I wouldn't say it's the most efficient, but he's absolutely right. You're, you're guaranteed one and you literally don't have to even look at it. You click twice and that's it. <laughs> Very true. So it, it is a method. I, I sense another stealth patch coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, to be fair, with the sometimes still nagging stability issues with the minigame, I really don't think they could get rid of the, that basic one trace per game. Because every once in a while, I still get one that kicks me out and I get zero points. And ooh, that would make me mad. Yeah, same as... Yeah, that's what I mostly get. And hearkening back to a previous episode of Priority One Podcast, commenting on our on-screen review of the Wesley's Gonna Get Killed by Lethal Injection episode of Star Trek, Ken from Chicago tweeted, Wait, you're analyzing Picard's handling of the law on TNG's justice and you're not asking at Kinetic Impulsor, that would be Tony, he's a lawyer. So, so, Tony. Yes. What are your views on the Wesley's going to get killed by lethal injection episode? Well, aside from the obvious missed opportunity, um, no, I kid. I, I kid. I kid. Wait, 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 hang on. I kid. I kid. No, uh, the the uh, actually this will be a fun little bit, uh, a segue, if you will, into our after hours discussion about law and Trek. Uh, what Ooh. Picard was actually doing was he was making an, an appeal to equity, not law. Uh, that That is always the counterbalance. There's the rules that are written down, but the reason you have judges is that you have to make sure that it's enforced fairly and equitably uh, in each situation. Because um, the law can't anticipate all things. So that, that he was... He wasn't making an appeal to, to law, he was making an appeal to equity. And that, that's an important counterbalance, you know, the scales, right? It's an important counterbalance to the written rule. So, there. There's my analysis. Excellent. I still think it was totally unfair that they didn't tell them the rules. And also, why did Wesley beam down, but... <laughs> Ignorance is no defense. Yeah, fair enough. That was the one with all the people with, like, hardly wearing any clothes, wasn't it? The yes, that, yes. They Mostly that, it was uh, an excuse yeah. for uh, Star Trek to sex it up a little bit. Everybody's running around in little yeah. white loincloths and whatnot. Jeez, if that was sexing it up, that was very um, ill-advised. For the 80s, that was sexing it up. I mean, I think there were, I think uh, uh, rubbing massage oil into other people was one of the main, uh, you know, cultural activities of those of those uh, uh, aliens. Hmm, that sounds like a fun place to go. Who can complain, right? Of course, there's yeah. the immediate death <laughs> sentence for the breaking of any law. That might bring yeah, down the that, tourism numbers That they a don't bit. tell you about. Yeah. <laughs> the breaking of any law, that none of which are written down and nobody tells you. Right. Could, could dampen the tourism numbers <laughs> mm. just a tick. Maybe. And finally, commenting on our on-screen review of the battle, Small Yoda commented, The battle is one of my favourite episodes of the first season. We get to do some backstory about Ricard, and we also get a more accurate portrayal of the Ferengi. I do think it would have been a good idea to take Damon Bok into custody. After all, manipulating a Starfleet captain is a serious offence. Agreed. Yeah, but we're you know they just let him go, didn't they? What what they're not we're not like they're not part of the Federation yet. They're like a sovereign power. It's got like diplomatic immunity and stuff. Yeah, but you can't just come over and like mess with. Um captain picard's mind and then just go away sure you can because he has to come back for another episode later on 
Oh, wait. Oh, right. Yes. Yes. That gaping plot hole spatial anomaly. You, you know, the, 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 you've got to, you've got to, uh, you know, the, the, the warp speed travels at the speed of plot. You know, it's a, you have to make some sacrifices for, for story. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. We love hearing from you, so leave us a voicemail by clicking on our SpeakPipe widget on the homepage, and that's in addition to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, our Twitter page at Priority One Pod, and of course, you can always leave a comment on our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 258 of Priority One Podcast. But before we go, here's a reminder of this week's community questions. What Star Trek character would you like to see come back in the new series as a cameo? Have you picked up one of the new Tier 6 flagships in Star Trek Online, and what are your first thoughts? If you had the power of Q, what would you do with it? And how different would this episode have been if Deanna was involved? Do you think she would have influenced Riker any differently? What gift would he have given her? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Submit your responses for our community questions in the comment section on our website. You can also leave a comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast or tweet us via at Priority One Pod. You can even leave us a voicemail via SpeakPipe. Just click on the widget on our homepage at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Be sure not to miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. And if you're listening to us via iTunes, please leave us a review. More importantly, help spread the word about the show. Now that we're covering all things Star Trek, be sure to retweet and share our posts. Invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many, many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. It's a pretty good show. You should check it out. Thanks to our graphic artists, Romulan Ale and Jason Smith. And if you enjoy our comics, the creator of our comic series, Jonathan Towery, can be commissioned at johntowery.com. Thanks to all our bloggers and their managing editor, L, to the writers of our skits, Jake Morgan. To our video editor, Jerry Tillman, and to consultant Midnight Shadow 7 of Holosuite Media for supporting the show. Thanks to our audio team led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brendan Parker, Jake Morgan, Asmaria De Post, and James Calvin. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. And most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community and our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Engage. And as always in the recording thingy, and let me tell you that I love it.
<laughs> Who put that in there? <laughs> I also love Oscar Isaac. <laughs> but that's not what I originally wrote in the script. So whoever did that is a troll. Making more batches of red gems, for instance, can unlock one of your character's special... I don't even know. <sighs> you guys, it's not pineapples. <laughs> Arc. <laughs> uh, what, what is that even saying? Powers. Abilities. It's abilities. Right. <sighs> I write too long a sentence because I have to go back to that. To the top of that sentence And those down, are the I'm ones I look I for. Like, uh. And I, for one, thank whoever come up with the names because they're really simple to say. It's always always a help for the podcast. Yes, always a help. Always a help for a linguistically challenged like myself. Or if they're me. a little tricky, though, you can always give them to Winters because he's really good at that. Yeah. I'm going to whoop you, Kenna. <laughs> 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 Moving on. Ooh. I know. Ooh, the shiny. The set bonus and... I feel like, was it named the Bruce Almighty? Like the, what do you call him? When he's got the TV reporter going, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. When he took control of him. Yep. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, man. But it's worth... This bit is... I developed a lisp there. But it's worth pointing out that the event seems to be getting planned... What am I saying? <laughs> yeah, you're very good. We're so close to the we end. We are so close to the end. Mark, for the love of God. Emergency <laughs> parent, Mark. That was quick. Yeah. Hi, Cookie and Elijah. Oh, uh, we'll move on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody really wants to hear what they have to say anyway. Let's be honest. <gasps> um, okay. Boop, boop. <laughs> yeah, Winters just cut that. That's in addition to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash priority. <laughs> How's that moonshine going down, Tony? Great. <laughs>